for live streaming. It's so good to be able to connect with you in this way. Well, in case I haven't met you yet, my name is Carrie, and I'm married to Lisa. We've been married just over 10 years, and together we have three children, a five-year-old, a two-and-a-half-year-old, and a little younger than one-month-old at home. Can I just tell you, I'm super grateful for them. And I am so grateful that we have a full little house together. But can I tell you something, church family? At the same time, surrounded by a community, a little community of people who I hold most dear in my life, I have still experienced loneliness this year. I have still dealt with that strong sense of isolation this year. Is anyone with me? And I can, I can only imagine what your journey has been if you haven't had that regular interaction each day from a community within your own walls. What a journey it's been. You see, loneliness is real. Loneliness is pervasive, and it didn't start yesterday. Did you know that as recent as 2018, back in 2018, Great Britain appointed a minister of loneliness for their nation? And over there, minister doesn't mean pastor like it does here. Over there, minister means government official. So they created a position for a government leader whose job it is to address loneliness at a national level because they see it as that severe. In fact, their findings show that it's in all ages and stations in their nation and that the impact is beyond our emotional health. It actually has implications for our physical health as well. The findings show that loneliness, the experience of loneliness, is comparable to smoking 15 cigarettes every day. That's how much it impacts us. Only, I don't think it's just an issue across the sea. In fact, I'm sure it's an issue in our nation as well. Back in 2018, 2019, surveys were sent out. And did you know that between one half and three quarters of all Americans report being lonely? I mean, upwards of three quarters of all American people. There might not be another issue in our whole nation that we agree upon more than this. That we're lonely. Loneliness is real and it's not just about numbers. In fact, I want to ask you, if you're willing, if you've experienced loneliness in the past six months, would you raise your hand? Would you keep it raised? And would you look around for a second? Okay, thank you. Loneliness is real. We're not alone in being alone. And with that, I believe that the church has something beautiful and powerful to offer a world that is hungering for real experience of community. That our relationships in the church can be like home for one another. 
the kind of home that we're hungering for, the kind of home that we're talking about in this series. And so today, the passage that we will be looking at continues that conversation. Today, our passage is found in the book of Ephesians. It starts in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. So I want to invite you to turn there. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 25. And as you get there, this was written by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Josh Phillips did a great job introducing us to Paul last week. He was one of the early disciples of Jesus, and he's writing this letter to a local church. And in particular, in the section that we're about to look at, he's writing about how we as a church relate to one another, how we treat one another. In other words, how we can be a community. And so I want to invite you to stand if you're able. What we'll do is we'll read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, and go to Ephesians 5, 2. So this is Ephesians 4, starting in verse 25. It says this. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no, let not just a little, let zero corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You can be seated. This passage lays out for us four instructions for building stronger community. Four building instructions, if you will. So the first building instruction that we see in this passage, the first instruction for building stronger community is this. Be truthful. Be truthful. And that's found in the first verse, verse 25 of our passage. This verse presents a contrast to us. On the, on the one hand, it says, put away falsehood. And on the other hand, it says, speak the truth to one another. So there's two sides to this coin of being truthful. So on the one hand, put away falsehood. And I find that that very expression, put away, is significant. Because you would never tell me, Carrie, put away your yacht. Because I don't have a yacht. You would never tell me, Carrie, put away your Jordans. Because I ain't got no Jordans. (laughs) So the very fact that Paul is writing to the church and he tells them, put away falsehood means 
there will be a tendency for us as believers, for falsehood to show up in our lives. And part of our growth in following Jesus will be to regularly and deliberately scan our lives for the falsehood and peel it off of us and put it away. Falsehood is lying in all of its forms, including those forms that are like partial truths. Those times when we say, someone asks you, hey, where were you last week? And you say, ah, I was working late. And yes, you were working late. You were working late on your favorite TV series on Netflix. This is telling us, put that away. Lying in all of its forms, put away. And on the other hand, speak the truth. So this is saying, stop lying and start truthing to one another. And that's a big, broad command. So I want to narrow its focus this morning. I want to narrow it to one implication. Because I believe in particular that there is a way that we can be more truthful with one another. In the church at large, I believe that we can be more truthful with how we present ourselves to one another. It reminds me of a house in my neighborhood. I was going to take a picture of it and so that I could show you and bring it here, and then I just thought, ah, that's creepy. And then I was like, oh, okay, no, I, can, I can look it up on Google Maps and kind of capture the picture and bring it to you. And then I thought, Carrie, that's still creepy. <laughs> and so I thought, let me just describe it to you. It's a house where you're walking down the street and all of a sudden you're struck because it's different than the houses around it. It's big, it's, it's magnificent, it's stately. It looks like a castle. And then you keep walking and, and look closer and from the side of it you realize it's just a little house made out of siding. When you look at it from the side, you see the siding. And in fact, you can see that the roof only goes up this high and the front of it extends much higher than the roof actually is. So it looks bigger. It's like the developer took a castle-looking faceplate and kind of stuck it to the front of this ordinary house. And that can be us. Sometimes we put on a false exterior. Sometimes we put on a faceplate to make ourselves look like we're not ordinary, like we are more impressive than what is actually behind the exterior. And so it looks like this. It's when somebody asks you, and they truly mean it, not just in a greeting, but they truly mean it, how are you? And you say, I'm good. When you're not. It's a false exterior. It's when somebody asks you, hey, how's it going at home? And you say, oh, my wife and I? It's like a perpetual honeymoon in our home. It's like we're living in an island of constant bliss all the time. 
when the truth is you were up late the night before shouting at one another and one of you threatened to leave and you're starting to lose hope that this thing can work. That's real. But we put up the exterior. And it doesn't even have to be with the words that we say. Sometimes we can be going through deep sadness. Sometimes we can be going through seasons of doubt. Sometimes we can be dealing with disappointment. And yet I think we have a temptation to present ourselves like we have things put together. I think we have a temptation to come to our gatherings as a church, whether it's in person or or via Zoom, and kind of put on our church face, like Mr. Potato Head. We put on our church smile, presenting ourselves like we have it together, because I think our temptation is to think that Jesus doesn't want to meet us in our sadness. He doesn't want to meet us in our doubt. He doesn't want to meet us in our disappointment. And I want to tell you, I want to tell you that he does want to meet us. He does want to meet us in our sadness. He does want to meet us in our doubt. And he does want to meet us in our disappointment. But that he often uses people. He wants to meet us right where we're at. And so it takes telling people right where we're at. Removing the false face and showing people right where we're at. And you know, I think as we do, we're building relationship. I'm working as a therapist right now, and one thing that I tell almost all of my clients is this corny definition of intimacy. And it's so corny that it's memorable. Intimacy can be defined as into me you see. Intimacy is into me you see. And so the more we show people what is truly, truthfully going on in our lives, the more we let people in, the more we remove that faceplate, the more we grow in our connection with one another. The more we're speaking the truth. You know, there's a lot of reasons why we are called to do this. But I love the reason that Paul gives in verse 25 of this passage. If you, if you look at how it ends, here's the reason he gives. He says, for you are members one of another. In other words, we belong together. In other words, we are more than Jesus' fan club on earth. We've got more in common than a group of shoppers inside of Costco. We've got more in common than a group of moviegoers in a movie theater all sitting and looking in the same direction that we are actually interconnected with one another. And what impacts me impacts you, and what impacts you impacts me. We belong together. We're interconnected like a body. And a healthy body is one where blockages are removed. See, blockages drive a wedge in our interconnectedness. And so we're called to put away falsehood and speak the truth to one another. And I believe that as we do, we will be building stronger community. So number one, be truthful. 
the second instruction for building stronger community in this passage is be at peace. Number two, be at peace. And that's found in verses 26 and 27 of this passage. I'll read them again. It says this. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So verse 26 starts out in kind of a confusing way. It says, be angry. Is that commanding us to to be angry? Like, thou shalt be angry? Like, come on, church, get angry. (laughs) As I've studied this, I think the best way to understand it is that he's saying, when you're angry, in the event that you become angry, because anger will happen. Because I don't think there's anyone in this room or anyone listening to this right now who is a robot like, I don't feel anger. Anger happens. It's an emotion. Anger in itself, in and of itself, is not a sin. But what this passage is saying is, when that emotion comes, be on the lookout, be on guard, watch out, because it can so easily lead to sin. It can so easily lead to hurting people, to sinning in what we say and what we do and even in what we think about people. You see, when we get angry, sin is around the corner. So this is saying, when you are angry, look out and do not sin. So how do we avoid anger leading us to sin? It says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, deal with it. Deal with your anger. And I don't think this passage is meant to be taken super literally like you get mad at 6.54 p.m. Sundown is 6.58. You got four minutes. You got to get on that right now, baby. You got to resolve that now. I think it's saying deal with it quickly. Deal with it quickly. Because it will so easily lead to sin. And you know, the, the word anger is used twice in this verse. It says, be angry. Then it says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. And the second time that word anger is used, it's a little bit different of a word. I've seen it translated in other places, your provocation. In other words, the thing that provoked you. In other words, the reason why you're angry, which is so often the conflict. We can apply this as saying, don't let the sun go down on your unresolved conflict. Be quick. Be quick to resolve conflict. And I think it echoes the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, in his most famous sermon. He said, if you're going to the altar to offer a gift, in other words, if you're going to an act of worship, And I think we could translate that into our daily experiences. If you're going to church and there realize that someone has something against you, leave what you're doing and go and be reconciled with that person. In other words, this is such a priority to God that it's saying leave church and go and be right with that person.
So an appropriate application of that would be if you're in church and realize that there's an unreconciled relationship in your life that you get up and make it right. And by the way, just in saying that, I realize that now people are not wanting to go to the bathroom to get up because then <laughs> people are like looking. Hey, that's okay. <laughs> but, get, but look at how much of a priority this is to God to deal with our unresolved conflict. And Paul, by the inspiration of the Spirit, gives us another reason here. He says, he says, do not give the devil an opportunity. In other words, unresolved conflict is like giving space to the devil to come in and do his work in our lives. So imagine you're sitting at home and all of a sudden you hear this noise and you look out and you realize there's a, there's a pack of rats on your porch like swarming around like... And then you, then you realize that you left the door open a little bit. How many of you would be like, I'll close that thing in a week. No, you would get up and close that door immediately because you don't want the rats to come in and tear up your home. So unresolved conflict in our life is like leaving the door open so that the devil can come in and tear up our home, which is the church. You see, the devil's work is to tear us apart. And so in dealing with conflict, we are closing the door on his work to tear us apart. So how do we do this? I actually think verse 32 helps us complete the thought. Verse 32 provides a way forward for us in dealing with conflict. So if you can look there, it says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Forgiveness is a key. It's key in dealing with unresolved conflict. And yet notice that I skipped a part. It says, it doesn't say forgive one another, period. It says, forgive one another, comma, and then Paul drops the bomb. He says, as God in Christ forgave you. That's how we forgive one another, as God forgave us. And this guides us, I think, in at least two ways. Number one, it helps us to remember that, that God is the one who was wronged. God is the one who was sinned against. God is always the offended party, and we are the ones who turned our backs on him. We are the ones that said, I don't want you. I want to go my way and do my thing. You are therefore disowned from my life. That is what sin is. And he could have left us like that, but he didn't. We were, we were ugly to him. We turned our backs on him, and he didn't leave us. He reached for us. He reached for us so hard that he gave his son, who gave his life to forgive us for the very things we ourselves had done against him so that a wayward people who were so far from him could be brought into the closest proximity with him possible, forgiving 
us from all that we've done and making us one, reconciling us to him. And so it reminds us that God made the first move. God took the initiative. And so if we are forgiving like God, don't wait for the other person to make the first move. Make the first move. Reach out. Because that's how God forgave us. And it also guides us. Because God didn't like give us a half-hearted forgiveness. He didn't give us a partial forgiveness. He didn't say, I forgive you, then keep looking at you with the stink eye. (laughs) He fully forgave us. He forgave us of all that we did. And so when we are forgiving others like that, it means we give them full forgiveness. And I realize that for us, that's a process. And so we forgive people and then later we realize it bubbles back up and we forgive again and then if it bubbles back up we forgive again and again and again as we strive towards full forgiveness because that is how God forgave us completely. And you know this not only guides us forgiving others it also empowers us to forgive others Because when we remember just how forgiven we are, when we remember how much our sin was piled up against him and he didn't just stingily just give us a little bit of forgiveness, he poured it into our lives, he piled it into our lives, he was generous with forgiveness. When we realize how much we are forgiven, it moves us to forgive others. And so, as we deal with conflict, as we close the door on the devil doing his work to tear us apart. As we forgive one another like he forgave us, we will strengthen our bond with one another. We will protect our bond from disunity and we will experience even stronger community. So be at peace. Number two, be at peace. The third instruction for building stronger community is this. Be careful with words. And that's found in verses 29 and 30. I'll read it. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. These verses highlight that our words matter. I think sometimes we downplay the impact of our words. I think sometimes we allow ourselves to say harsh things on social media because it's just words. It's just words that we're putting out there. We downplay the impact of our words, but the Bible does not. This is a theme all throughout Scripture, and I think especially in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs mentions 59 times that it matters how we speak. I pulled out a a few of my favorites. I pulled out three of them, and I'll just read them to you real quick. Proverbs 15.4 says this, 
The tongue that heals is a tree of life, but a devious tongue breaks the spirit. Proverbs 12, 18, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Our words can break the spirit. Our words can be like sword thrusts, or they can bring healing. The last one, Proverbs 18, 21, says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. See, our words matter so much. We can't be careless with our words. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 12, 36, he said, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Our words have deep significance. And that's echoed in our passage today. So on the one hand, Our passage tells us that our words have power to bring great damage to others. That's why it says, let no, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. And I don't think that's talking about just colorful four-letter words. Because I think we can be quite clean in what we say and yet very cutting. Let no corrupting words. And that word for corrupting is elsewhere used of fruit that is rotting or fish that is spoiled. So the imagery is that with just the words that we say, we can impart disease, foulness, rot into someone else's life just with what we say. And so it leads us to consider each one of us individually, how am I, for example, speaking about people on the opposite end of the political spectrum? How am I speaking about people who are not in the same camp as me? And I'm not saying we can't disagree, but I'm saying that we can do a lot of damage because our words have such power. And yet on the other hand, this this passage shows us that our words have great power to bring healing and life to someone else. Just our words, just what we say can bring healing and life. And so it says to us, in what you speak, speak words that are good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And grace is a gift. Your words can be like imparting a gift into somebody else's life. I love how it says, as fits the occasion, which means this is more than just saying a general, generic nicety to somebody, but that, but that part of it is listening listening to the person in order to offer a word that fits the occasion. And that when we do, we can give one that's like a gift. And I love how this uh, scholar said about this passage, that this applies not only to our words that we say to someone, but also our words that we say for someone. In other words, in prayer. That can be a gift to someone. And and I can personally testify that there have been times that I've been feeling down and, and somebody listens to me in the church 
And then they say, hey, can I pray for you? And I get to hear them pray for me right then and there. And just hearing the words that they say before the throne of God, to hear how they lift me up before him, does something inside of me that shifts my attitude. It's like balm to me. It's like giving a gift to me. And we can do that for one another with our words. See, our words have great power. Great power to build up. Also great power to tear down. And when we use our words to tear down, our passage tells us that it grieves the Holy Spirit. That's, that's what verse 30 says. It says, and, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Verse 30 is primarily connected to verse 29 that talks about how we use our words. So it's telling us in the way that we use our words... We can grieve the Holy Spirit. How so? Because imagine you are working on something really hard. Like it's your job. You've been really giving a lot of effort to it. So you're working on something really hard. Maybe if you're a student, it's a project or a paper, and you're really working on it. Or if you're a stay-at-home parent, you're really working on getting a, a baby to sleep. Or, or maybe you're cleaning a room <clears throat> and you step away for a moment and then you come back and realize that someone came along and messed it up. They deleted the paper. They woke up the baby. They messed up the room. They tracked mud all over. How do you feel in that moment? It's like, ah. And this passage is saying that's the feeling we can give the Holy Spirit. Because what's the Holy Spirit's job? He's got a lot of jobs. But Ephesians tells us, the background of this book tells us that one of his main jobs is to build up the church and to unify its people. So that's the work that he's doing. And with our words, we can come along and go against his work. We can mess up his work by tearing one another down with our words. And it's like, ah! That's the imagery used here, that we can grieve the Holy Spirit in that way. You see, our words have great power. And so, let's not grieve the Holy Spirit. Let's put away corrupting talk and speak life to one another. Give words to one another that are a gift, whether it's spoken to that person or whether you say, hey, can I pray for you right now? And that person gets to hear you speak words for them right then and right there. I mean, we could do this. We can do this today. And I believe that as we do, we will build stronger community. So be careful with words. The fourth and final instruction for building stronger community is this. Be loving. Number four, be loving. And that's found in verses one and two of chapter five. I'll read it again. It says this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children 
and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So these two verses here are actually, I believe, a summary of the whole passage that we just walked through. It says, be loving. It starts out by saying, be imitators of God. And then it narrows the focus specifically in this verse. It says, imitate him in the way that you love. And it says, walk in love. I think that's a significant expression because it's more than saying, take a step in love. Because to do so would be this, love. Okay? I've done my act of love. I can check that off my list. But walking in love, walking in love looks like this. Love, 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 love. It's a life of love. So how, how are we to love one another? Do we wait till that mushy feeling rises up inside of us? And we begin to feel kind of like a Hallmark movie towards one another. And then we see people that we are naturally drawn to, that we are fond of, and we just give them this Hallmark sentimentality. No. Paul drops the bomb again. He says, love one another as Christ loved us. He drops the bomb again. How did Christ love us? It says he gave. Which means his love is a gift. Which is different than a reward. And so that means, that means we didn't have to earn it. We never could. We didn't deserve it. We never could. His love is not based on something that we did or someone that we were. It's not in response to us. It was given as a gift. And so when we are loving like that, can you imagine how refreshing that is as a community? Because it means you don't have to earn love here. It's not based on something that you did. It's not based on someone that you are. You don't have to do the right things. You don't have to say the right things. You don't have to wear the right clothes. You don't have to be a certain kind of person. You can come here and get love. Like the Backstreet Boys once said, I don't care who you are. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. You can just come. You can just come and get love. Can you imagine how refreshing that is? How healing that is? The pressure taken off of trying to come and how am I doing? Am I performing enough? Am I, am I good enough? You just come and be loved. So how do we do that? As a community, I believe the secret is actually found back in chapter 5, verse 1. It says, do this as beloved children. As beloved children. In other words, 
when we have received what God has done for us through the work of Jesus, when we've received that, when we've owned it for ourselves, he embraces us as his dearly loved children. And when we experience that love, that we are beloved, it moves us to give it to others. It's like, imagine you won a contest where the prize is a lifetime supply of granola bars. And every week, a whole truckload of granola bars is delivered to your front door. Wouldn't you just be giving granola bars away? Unless you're hoarding them like toilet paper. But wouldn't you just give those granola bars away? Like, hey, do you need a granola bar? Do you want, do you need one? Do you need one? Why? Because you have plenty to give. When we, <clears throat> when we come into relationship with God, Romans 5, 5 says, He pours His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. He delivers it by the truckload to the front door of our hearts so that we can give it away and give it away and give it away and give it away. Because we are beloved. And if you're listening to this in this room or listening to this on the other side of a screen and you've never received what God has done for you in the work of Jesus, if you're finding that you're in that position of having your back torn, turned away from God, doing your own thing, I want to invite you today that you can turn towards him to do things his way that's what the Bible calls repentance turn towards him and receive the gift of what he's done for you believing that Jesus did it he died and rose again so that we can be brought to be one with God and committing to follow him and I want you to know And when that happens, God doesn't just like check it off his list. All right, you're forgiven. Next. He embraces you. He adopts you as his beloved child. And the more, the more we let that reality sink in, the more we bask in and marinate in the fact that he loves us as his beloved children, the more we get that and own that for ourselves, the more we are ready to give it away to others. And as we do, as we love others in that way, we will build stronger community. So listen, loneliness is real. Loneliness is pervasive but I believe the church can be like a home where loneliness is undone and true community is alive so let's be truthful be at peace be careful with words and be loving and I believe that as we do we will experience that community we will be a home Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. 
And Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your work in our lives. I thank you that you love us and that you're involved in our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us have the courage to open up to others. You would help us to have the courage to find those moments to take down our walls. Father, I pray that you, by your Spirit, would work in us to put your finger on our hearts, to show if, if, if us as, if there's any unresolved conflict in our lives, and giving us the power to forgive. Lord, I pray that you would help us to guard our mouths and use words that bring life. I pray, Lord God, that we would bask in your love being your beloved, dearly loved children. And yet you, by your spirit, would empower us to give it away. I pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. God, we just want to press into your goodness right now, Lord. Oh, God, what a, what a beautiful reminder we got today, Lord. We came empty-handed to the foot of the cross cross happened not as a reward for our righteousness, but as a gift, a reflection, God, of your character. And so we praise you, Lord. My Lord, I ask, God, that today as we we're reminded that your spirit unites us, weaves us together, that, Lord, that we would lean upon your Holy Spirit for continued strength to obey the commands of Scripture, to, to live out as a family of God, as, as your home, as your people, Lord, I pray that we would uh, lean into you, Lord, for help. Oh, God, I pray that, uh, that we would experience your newness, your power, as we trust you. Thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Church, I told you all, God had a word for you today. Praise the Lord, man. When we open the Bible, God speaks, church. So, man, as you go out this week, go with some anticipation that God wants to use you to do something. He's going to surpass your expectations when you become a willing heart. I mean, none of y'all expected to hear a Backstreet Boys lyrics today. Y'all didn't, you didn't expect that. And who knows what you're going to get this week, what God has for you. He wants to do a beautiful work. And so, man, we just praise him because he is relentless in his pursuit. Before we dismiss, I want to remind you to go on out to our front lawn where Pastor Jeremy's out there. He's going to be selling the Emotionally Healthy Relationships books. I want to be healthy. Y'all with me on this? Man, I want to be able to look at Jesus when I'm in my darkest times and, and not just be spiritually right, but in, to, be, to begin to inform the way my, I live and relate to each other so we could be that body that we learned about today using words to strengthen and encourage. So please, church, we would love for all of y'all to be a part of one. I, like, on the real, we want everybody to be a part of one. Well, with that, I want to uh, speak God's blessing over you. My favorite verse, Isaiah 41.10, which says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. 
and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's God's promise for all of his children. You are dismissed, church family. We'll see you all on the front lawn. Take care. Have a great week.